is Dick Flax. Welcome you, you to another episode of Talking Strategy, Making History, and our particular series on the situation in Israel-Palestine. Daraka and I are joined today by a very special guest. It's Yuri Zaki, who is the leader of the Meretz Party in in Israel, which is long-standing left-wing party. He's got a long history of leadership in Israel. He was one of the leaders of B'Tselem uh, and also a international leader of the World Zionist Organization in his young years. And he is now considered one of the voices of the, let's call it, electoral left uh, in Israel. Uh, Daraka knows him from long-standing uh, connections in the international socialist youth world going back several decades. Daraka will take the lead in this conversation, so let's tune into that. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Talking Strategy, Making History. And today we're talking with Uri Zaki, joining us from Tel Aviv, Israel. and the angry voice you hear in the background is uh, my daughter, Ada, who might be speaking up a little bit here. But hey, thanks for joining us, Uri. Really appreciate it. and know that it's a difficult time there in Israel and you're a busy guy. I thought before we start talking about the war and the situation in Gaza right now, it might be helpful, I think, for our listeners to get just a sense, your sense of the general situation in Israeli politics right now. I mean, once upon a time, like when you and I met in the 90s, there was a strong electoral left in Israel and something called the, the peace process. What, what's going on now? How, how would you describe the, the situation for anybody interested in progressive politics and progressive social change? Sure. Uh, thanks, uh, Daraka, and uh, thanks, Dick, for having me. Thanks, uh, Ada, for participating. <laughs> yeah, so you can't really speak about anything uh, these days in Israel unrelated to uh, to you know, the October 7th attack and the uh, war uh, in Gaza that followed. But I will try to give it a bit of a background. We are exactly one year, or a few weeks after one year, since the uh, current Netanyahu uh, government uh, took office. He won an election decisively after five rounds, I believe, in just over two years, which is very, I mean, Israeli, uh, unlike in, in American politics, where you know presidential elections and other elections are set for every four years, in Israel we have a parliamentary system, so you can dissolve a, the parliament at any given uh, moment, and, and thus replacing a government. You can even replace a government within uh, a serving parliament. But even for in Israeli uh, terms, the fact that we uh, had so many elections was unprecedented. The reason for that was. Netanyahu became, if in the past, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and how to resolve it was the watershed of Israeli politics in the last uh, several years, and especially since Netanyahu himself was uh, started his, his uh, corruption trials, was indicted and, and, and was under trial, uh, he became the watershed of Israeli politics. He got back to office after just under two years or a year and a half, that a very strange government was in power, a government led by a rightist, former director general of the uh, settler organization, but having within it both merits, uh, my party, which is a very progressive party in Israeli terms, and an Arab par uh, party, which was unprecedented in Israeli uh, politics that officially an Arab party, you know, uh, Israeli-Palestinian uh, citizens are about 20% of our population. And this was the first time they joined a, a coalition, a, a bar, an Arab party joined a coalition. So it was a very strange and unique coalition that's what, that what held it together was trying to block Netanyahu. Uh, obviously, because of the nature of that coalition, also because it had only a, a one vote majority in parliament. It didn't survive. And, and after a year and a half, the Knesset was uh, dissolved again and went to another elections in which uh, Netanyahu 
regained position of prime minister, which he held by the longest serving prime minister in Israel's history, longer even than our own George Washington, David Ben-Gurion. And uh, we don't have terms limits, a terms limit here in Israel. So uh, he altogether, he holds office more than 16 years. And uh, in consecutive, since 2009, apart from that year and a half, he was uh, uh, in power because he had, in, in the past, he used to form coalitions that had, let's say, a centrist element, like it would take one or two parties that have more centrist um, orientation. This time, he built a coalition. Uh, mostly, I mean, he didn't have many options, to be honest, but he did uh, build a coalition that was a combination of the ultra-Orthodox, the Haredi uh, parties, which are obviously extremely conservative based on their way of life and their interests. The extreme far-right, two parties, one of them more populist, the other just messianic and extremist and settler-led, both of them. The, the most extreme parts of the settler movement, you know, the settler movement is also not, you know, it's, it, it has divisions within it. We're talking about the most extreme elements of the settler uh, party. And the Likud itself, perhaps following uh, the Republican Party's model, became much more populist of a party uh, with the main thing is its leader, Netanyahu, and uh, promoting um, anti-democratic notions and, and, and agenda. The past year before, uh, or the, the, the 10 months before the October 7th attack, were one of the, uh, uh, the, the, the worst in, Israel, in the Israeli society's history. Again, perhaps similar to, to, uh, to the uh, Trump era or something like that, there was an attempt by the government to basically change or to attack, to take control of our judiciary. In Israel, on the one hand, unlike in the United States, the, judici the, the judiciary is considered independent and is not, I mean, politicians, the Knesset and, and the government do have some degree of, of, of influence on who would be the, uh, the justices, both in the Supreme Court and, and lower courts, but they don't have, it's not like in the United States where, you know, you, you only have the, the uh, president and the Senate. You, you have their representatives of uh, the judiciary itself, of the, uh, of, of the bar. So there was an attempt to change the way the Supreme Court justices are elected uh, to change, uh, to limit their ability to uh, override Knesset uh, decisions and legislation. This created, uh, this was done by, by uh, the Minister of Justice that Netanyahu appointed and he knew very well who is this guy and what his plans are. And he led uh, what they, they regard as a judicial reform, a judicial overhaul, uh, but was basically a, a kind of a coup against Israel democracy. It was very easy for them to do that because we don't have a constitution. So right. with a regular majority of uh, 61 out of 120 uh, members of Knesset, you can change the fundamentals of the system. But the Israeli um, constituency you know, reacted Right. Not only massive protests, yes. Massive protests throughout the year with not only, it wasn't like in the past where it was more of a progressive or lefty, although Netanyahu tried to portray it, to portray it like that, but we're talking about the Israeli center, the, the people who, you know, in Israel, you have questions of also uh, a strong middle class that also pays taxes and stuff like that and regards the state as, as something that, you know, needs to be kept against um, actions like that. So you had ex exactly massive protests that tore apart Israeli uh, society. By the way, all the uh, public opinion polls before October 7th already showed that Netanyahu lost a lot of his uh, support and that the former coalition uh, parties uh, together held uh, a majority. But he has this majority, so he could go on and, and continue to try and change the, the system. I would say in parentheses that given the fact that he was indicted in, his, in the midst of a, of a corruption trial, 
he has a, a personal interest to change the, the judiciary and, 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 to, and thus getting rid of his uh, criminal trial. This so, seems to be the new normal on the right, right? It's like you have a criminal as your leader the, and they have to win seven, in order to right? stay out of prison. So okay. would you say that October 7th has strengthened uh, Netanyahu is, or weakened him? Oh, no, he, he definitely didn't uh, strengthen him. The As I said, he went into this horrific event with, on the one hand, a solid majority in the Knesset that he lacked in the last uh, uh, three, three years, but with uh, um, a, a bad situation, I would say, in the public opinion. But after... You know this this attack we uh, the uh, horrific attack that uh, Israel faced. He now and also the fact that he's not taking responsibility. There is a huge uh, majority thinking that he needs to uh, step down. In parties, how they are doing in uh, possible elections, his uh, uh, Likud party shrinks in half, mm-hmm. and his coalition loses about. 25% of its uh, of its uh, representation meaning that the opposition which again is not is kind of it has elements of of right left and center but it has a strong majority very strong majority i mean if there'll be elections it will uh, definitely lose but it clings to power i mean it's uh, very obvious it's just uh, playing politics and and doing whatever he can to stay in power, you know, he built his reputation by being Mr. Security, although he, he never was, but he's a, a very strong mm-hmm. uh, PR person. And he built this image of a, a Mr. Security and, and now, you know, the, the, the most basic security of human beings, of what you expect your country to do to, you know, as, as, as citizens to, uh, or residents of, of a country, not to be killed, raped, shot, you know, and, and, and losing uh, men, women, and children all went down during his term. Right. Um, so it's like you know, a security well, failure is responsible. How they see it. Yeah. Hmm. So when we were talking about getting sort of ready for this interview, you'd said that you thought that your position or perspective on the war might be different than that of progressives in the United States. You want to talk a little bit about that and sort of what is the view from the Israeli left about the discussion or debate or mobilizations around the conflict abroad? So first of all, I don't don't want to speak on behalf of the left, but I am definitely a known left voice here in Israel, so I can speak on my own. But I do believe I represent many people who feel uh, the same way. And I do see it being reflected, uh, you know, like Haaretz, for instance, a very known uh, daily here in Israel and, and other places. I would say that first of all, we're we're kind of um, even insulted. I would say by the reaction of many progressives, both in the United States and in Europe. And I think in the United States it was more obvious because we're not talking about now, you know, three over three months into this war, but just the first few days after the attack, when. And again, I'm not in the U.S. right now. I haven't been there uh, in a few months, so I, I don't know. Uh, last time I was visiting was in July, so I, I don't know what happened since October 7th. So what is being covered from there is, you know, these, uh, on the one hand, no empathy to the fact that, that people were attacked, brought together with rallies in campuses in, in major cities, and I'm talking about the first few days after the attack, not even now that you can justify it perhaps uh, from, I don't, but let's say I can understand how it can be uh, perhaps uh, justified, but I think it's unjustifiable because it, it started even before Israel a- actually re- uh, reacted. And the kind of, of messaging you hear there, like from the river to the sea, from the river to the sea, that means, you know, uh, it means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean. Tel Aviv, for instance, is on is on the uh, uh, the shore of the Mediterranean. That from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. The Tel Aviv would be part of uh, would, would not be would be 
part of Paris. I mean, it would not exist, and, and maybe we have to uh, uh, welcome uh, a Hamas-like uh, regime after what they did to us. That was honestly disappointing, insulting even, very discouraging. And it kind of lacked what I see as, as the basis of all of our, I mean, if you come from a prog progressive pr perspective, you, you need to, you know, respect values such as, you know, uh, first and foremost, human lives. And we're talking about vicious attack that included really atrocities that are unimaginable. And basic empathy, human empathy is something that, you know, uh, I saw, there's a famous saying here in Israel that, that the left likes uh, human rights, but not always likes humans. And perhaps <laughs> that's the, the, the thing. We're talking about, mm. you know, slogans and stuff like that. But basic empathy, you know, people were, were slaughtered. Some of them, by the way, devoted peace activists who did their utmost to, to change things for the better in a, in a very dire, ongoing yeah. uh, conflict. Yeah, and we've seen and that, think, right, in the, in the conflict between the families of, of hostages and right. the government, right? And that it was like... But I'm not talking about the government. I'm talking about, yeah. not talking about you personally, but I'm talking about the American left as it's portrayed here, at least. I know there right. are different voices, but we, since it, it started just after October 7th, I can't say, you know, okay, look, now Israel has been uh, uh, fighting in Gaza for so many months and there are so many uh, uh, civilian casualties. You know, I can understand the, the, the calls for uh, a ceasefire. I don't necessarily accept them, but I, can, I, I would have understood them. But it started just after the attack. There was no minute of empathy to the victims here in Israel, as if the, the, our casualties, the, the, the women that were raped, the families that were all slaughtered, parents that saw their, their kids being uh, shot in front of their eyes or, or burned alive, and all, all those, you know, a music festival that mm. people were, were slaughtered in. And you, you didn't hear, you, you all, what you heard, by the way, even from uh, at least one Jewish organization, uh, Jewish Voice uh, for Peace, for peace. I, I believe it's, it, it's called, mm -hmm. was a pointing uh, finger saying, you know, we kind of, we are to blame for what was done to us. And I think that's moral breakdown of, of the American uh, uh, progressives. By the way, I think it's counterproductive politically in the United States itself. And if you want, I can give you my humble opinion why. Uh, but for, first and foremost, I think it's, it's horrible. I think it's, it's not what human beings should, who believe in human dignity should. So I really appreciate you saying that. And that's part of the perspective and dialogue we want to build in this season of this podcast. The Dick and I, I think we, when we, we conceived of this, we just saw a very toxic discussion in, in, in multiple directions and an inability of the American left to do, to articulate something with nuance, right? To, mm -hmm. to be in sympathy and solidarity with victims of Hamas's attack, to condemn Hamas as an organization and as a movement, and then also be able to put pressure on both the Biden administration and, and the government in Israel to respect Palestinian rights, to get back on track for you know, a just solution to the conflict, these sorts of things. It's been very difficult for people to juggle all of those things, while at the same time, I think there's a very large constituency, I think the vast majority of the progressive constituency uh, in the United States that you know, are absolutely not represented by the more mm -hmm. you know, bloodthirsty sloganizing that rises to the top. You know? And I think one thing in our last episode in talking with the editor of Jewish Currents and someone who's very mm -hmm. you know, active in the Jewish community, a very sophisticated and determined campaign to scare Jewish people into thinking the left is far more hostile, far less compassionate than it actually is. So it wouldn't surprise me at all that the coverage of the Palestinian solidarity movement in the United States, you know, that what you're going to get in Israel is going to be one that's going to maximize that 
insecurity mm-hmm. and that fear and and so forth because the you know i guess i would say from one friend to another that if you didn't you know it's one thing if you didn't hear or feel that compassion you know that's just that's a sad fact but i would tell you that it's very much there and that you know that we've had and we've dick and i've talked about this that like you got all these activists who have never known anything except Netanyahu and the and the, the post Oslo chaos of mm. the last couple of decades. They've never known any kind of hope for peace or dialogue or anything. And so a whole generation of left activists have been have sort of come to consciousness in that context. And so yeah, it's made a very sort of narrow discussion. It's meant that being not just pro-Palestinian, but explicitly anti-Zionist has become a kind of litmus test on the left because there's no other position. There's no right. other thing. And, and that's, again, you know, we're, Dick and I have argued and we're agnostic about big questions like, or ambivalent, I guess I should say, about big questions like Zionism. But where we want to get to is a point where wherever you stand on that big question, we can sit down and talk about a path to peace and justice and you know normalcy for everyone so yeah buck up don't i i wouldn't don't take <laughs> what you see being sort of transmitted or filtered to in order to make you feel insecure don't don't take that too much to heart there's a lot of of compassion and sympathy and empathy here and confusion and that's yeah. what we're trying to sort through in this discussion but i'm gonna i'm gonna turn okay. it over to dick to ask a couple questions sure. and yeah, no, Duraka just said a lot of what I would have started to say in, re, in response, Yuri, to what you were saying. It seems to me that part of one thing to pick up on is is the fact that this generational divide in the left about what Israel is, what Israel is. I'm old enough to remember the founding of the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. I was in I was in high school already, or junior high school, and in 1948. To me, Israel was the haven for the oppressed Jewish uh, population in the in the uh, aftermath of the Holocaust, and it was a socialist-oriented society, and and the kibbutzim were the model of, of a possible future. So that was my founding view of, of Israel. I And I think I was typical of, of progressive types of my generation. And as Duraka said, the the young people of today see Israel in a very different way because of not just Netanyahu and the current government, but because of the occupation mm-hmm. and the, uh, you know, and the, uh, I would say apartheid-like situation in the um, occupied areas and so on. That's one of the problems of that exists in terms of in terms of perception of Israel, I, I think that the immediate aftermath of October 7th, there was many of people were appalled by those statements that seemed cold to what had happened in October 7th. And uh, it wasn't, it isn't, you should that many people on the American left were trying to figure out how to respond to the perception that there was a pro-Hamas sentiment among the pro-Palestinian movement. I actually think from the beginning, there was a lot of misreporting and and a lot of misunderstanding on the part of some of the student groups that were making their statements. They did not necessarily know what had happened on October 7th in full fullness when those first statements were released. But, But I think it's my feeling is we shouldn't be keep, keep arguing about what happened three months ago. A lot of people have had a lot of discussion. My what I've been most impressed about in this country, among people on the left, is people are struggling with trying to figure out in fullness what is going on and how to what the meaning of all this is and what are the ways out of it. And I think even the activist pro Palestinian students have changed their rhetoric. The first days it was support for the Palestinian cause. Now the primary slogan is 
cease fire and release of the hostages and moving toward toward full equality from the river to the sea that's what the river to the sea slogan now means it doesn't mean eliminating the jewish people in any way i i haven't really met anyone or heard anyone in my experience interprets river to the sea now in in any terms other than full equality for all people living between the river and the sea that kind of view so I think the the thing that you can Yuri can do most for us, not just the us on the podcast, but for people who might be listening to this, is to see what are the prospects for that. I mean, I assume you agree with that ultimate vision as a goal. So, how does Israel and Palestinian world evolve from here on? I should have emphasized what I'm about to say now. The, the reporting we are getting is of a horrifying attack on the people of Gaza in every single way, that this is coupled with reports of major figures in the Israeli government advocating ethnic cleansing of Gaza. So whether or not we call this genocide, and of course it is horrendous to to accuse the Jewish people of, of genocide, but whether or not you, whatever you call it, it is, Ethnic cleansing is an accurate description of what is the goal of some of the people in the government. And all the actions on the ground seem directed at that goal. Driving people out of Gaza en masse is what seems to be the purpose of the war. Stopping that, it's now a worldwide demand. There are people within the White House staff who are demanding within the White House a change of American policy, let alone throughout uh, other parts of the government and mass demonstrations. This is not good for Israel. It's not good for the Jewish people of the world to have this be in this position. Uh, that's my passionate feeling. This is not good for security. It's not good for the future of our people as as Jews on the planet or in Israel. That's my heartfelt view. So how do we get out of this, and what what it, what do you think are the prospects? Is it is it truly grim, or are there rays of hope? That's all. I, that's <laughs> there's a lot there. There's a lot there. But why don't you start with responding to this question of, you know, what kinds of prospects there are or hopes there are for, you know, for this not just being a permanent situation, a permanent war. How do we get to peace. I will get to that, but I, I do want to say, uh, although I, 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 I deeply uh, appreciate, uh, Dick, uh, your, your uh, first, of, first of all, your empathy that, you know, uh, and, 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 and speaking from your own personal identity, it's even stronger. And, 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 and you know, I appreciate it uh, uh, deeply, but I, I strongly disagree with some of the conclusions uh, you got to, specifically about what's Israel's goal in Gaza right now. What I'm about to say is hard because of these crazies who, you know, obviously have a a political goal and have ministerial positions with microphones stating what they want to do, but they don't have any on-the-ground influence on what's going on in the the, uh, war in Gaza. What's going on in the war in Gaza is the following. You have an Islamic fundamental vicious terrorist organization over Gaza that has no restraints when it comes to the Gazan population it's, uh, itself, that built a whole network of tunnels underneath the most usually uh, protected and, and, and off you know, things that you do not use to, as, as military uh, facilities such as uh, uh, schools, uh, hospitals, uh, mosques, and so on and so forth, that are using its, their own population as uh, human shields. And the fact that Israel pushed huge, uh, the, the masses you talked about, to the southern part of, of Gaza was exactly the opposite of a goal of, of ethnically cleansing it. It was, listen, yeah, you're going to be affected. 
in the area where Israel lives, where Israel is, is at. You can argue on Zionism, whether it was a good idea or not a good idea to form the state of Israel in the ancient land of Israel, in Palestine, whatever you want to call it, but this is a given, okay? And in our neighborhood, after you're attacked like that and you don't retaliate, it's a matter of a few years at the most of our actual survival here. If we show, if we show you know, you can do that and get away with it, and you don't react, and by the way, I think any country, let's say if Canada tomorrow would invade California and, and slaughter and rape and kidnap and all that, the U.S. will attack. The U.S. attacked Afghanistan after an attack in New York. We're talking about our... But that was know, a, but that sucked. That was horrible, right? I, mean, it didn't... I don't know whether it was horrible or not, but you know, we're, I'm talking about our neighbors next door. We have... You saw what, what they do if, if we don't have a defense against these, these people. I'm talking about Hamas, not about all Palestinians. So we had to, you know, and, and now I'll go to the future. Well, and what, well, what well, 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 yeah, just let's stipulate. There's no question that Israel has the right to try to end Hamas's ability to do anything like that and to whatever. But that's the question is whether the wholesale attack on the people of Gaza uh, what do you mean the people of Gaza? What can you do? You, you can't, you, I mean, we can in theory talk here in a, in a podcast about let's use chopsticks to take out the, the Hamas activists from the population. By the way, and Israel tried to do that. It said, if you're not involved with Hamas, and by the way, many of the Hamas activists themselves, the militants, went to the southern part of Gaza. Israel helped them to survive, right? But it had to do that in order not to to affect as, uh, as few people it, as it could, given the fact that in order to topple the Hamas regime, and you can't, we can't afford having a Hamas regime there. By the way, if we want some, some kind of a, of a better future, and I'll, talk, I'll get to that in a, in, in a sec, you can't have Hamas as a player. Hamas you know, proved itself as, and, and by the way, that was an October 7th attack was on the background of, of Trying to give more, give more working permits to to Palestinians. Netanyahu himself, by the way, who at least is a war, he's a kind of a Churchill and a warmonger in his uh, uh, rhetorics, but in practice, he's not a, uh, a somebody who who uh, he let Hamas. He used Hamas, by the way, uh, yeah, to, we, to yeah. refrain right. from from talking with the with the more moderate elements of of the Palestinian right. politics. We know, but yeah. he did. But it did help them in a sense to, because they provoked this attack. This attack was was perhaps because of our weakness due to the uh, judicial overall. We, we talked at the beginning of this um, of of this uh, conversation. Right. Uh, but it proved that they, yeah, they want to kill us. That's what they want to do. They want to kill us. They want to kick us kick us out. I don't see any other uh, examples of of countries that are facing such a threat, such an imminent, very visible threat. So, yeah, Israel is attacking Gaza. It's attacking Hamas. It's trying to do its best with, with the most fortified force in human history, more even than, than in Berlin in, in, or Moscow and places like that in, uh, during uh, the 20th century. We're talking about uh, an underground city with, again, using civilian uh, facilities as shelters, by the way, also using families, you know, man, many of the hostages that were that were free eventually talked about how they were held in uh, Gazan families' houses with their kids and everything. So it's very easy to speak about, oh, you, you have to attack Hamas but not attack Gaza, but to do it, it's almost impossible. And, and that's the reason Israel tried to push the civilian population as much as, as it could to the southern part of Gaza. Well, maybe you want to try to... And, and I believe that the future has to be, first of all, without Hamas. Hamas, you know, Oslo, and, and, and Araka mentioned Oslo. Oslo failed because of, 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 a, of a bizarre coalition, or perhaps not so bizarre, between Hamas and the extremist part of, of the Palestinian political arena and society, and the Israeli extremists, you know. Yeah. Many people talk about in Israel about the terrorist attacks 
and they, they say that's the result of the Oslo Accords. The first attacks were the opposition to the Oslo Accords by exactly. Hamas. The suicide bombings, and again, crazy things that later were, were adopted elsewhere against uh, Western uh, targets. This culture of, of suicide bombings, which is horrific, and eventually did kill Oslo. It, 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 uh, and, uh, it weakened the uh, Oslo coalition was joined by, by the way, only one suicide uh, uh, attack was done by a Jew, but it did happen in, in the uh, Tomb of the Patriarchs by, by Dr. Baruch Goldstein, right. by the way, an American, American Jew uh, originally. Oh, yeah. sure. And ultimately, the assassination of, of, uh, of Prime Minister Rabin. So yes. that yeah. created a kind of coalition of the ex- extremists that took Oslo off course, and, and it was very hard to to regain trust between the peoples. But having said all that, and you know, I have many, many friends in the left who say they are now, in Hebrew, we call it sober. I'm sober of my leftism, all right, of my, of my being a lefty. I know now I can't believe in peace and everything. I, I'm, I don't share that. On the one hand, I do, as, as you hear, as you can hear, I believe we have to topple Hamas and we have to do, to do it thoroughly. So, because Israel has to come to the table to regain at least a lot of its position as a strong force here. We can't allow ourselves to be shown as too weak because we're surrounded. Uh, the Hamas's multiples are existing also in, in Egypt, in Jordan, in Lebanon, you name it. They're part of those Muslim extremists, not all Muslims, by the way, my old grandfather was a Muslim. Okay, I'm not talking about Muslims or the Islam as a religion, but this fundamental extremist and, and, and many times terrorist uh, organizations are part of, of Arab societies all, all around the region. And, you know, they, they watch. So we have, to, we have to topple Hamas. But, and if you take history, whenever there was a catastrophe in the Israeli-Arab relations, it followed by a political deed. And I do think that the Biden's doctrine, is, as, as it was uh, called, I do believe it's a good plan because it, we need to take this catastrophe to a political track. And the fact that Hamas grew so incredibly big, of course, it has Palestinian reasons. And I, and I hate some of my, my colleagues in the left, both here and, and uh, abroad, kind of saying, no, the Palestinians don't have any responsibility because they're the weaker. Palestinians should take responsibility on, on their side too. Sure. But Netanyahu, while strengthening Hamas and, and, and allowing it to be such a strong force, did so in order to dry out the Palestinian Authority and, 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 and the Fatah movement and Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen in particular. Mahmoud Abbas is not a Zionist, he's a, he's a, a proud Palestinian leader, he's old now, he's involved in corruption and, and many other things. That's a Palestinian issue. But this is a guy who refrained of using violence throughout his, his, um, his uh, career. And he, instead of using that, saying you have someone here who does not believe in violence as a tool, we isolated him, weakened him, and strengthened the militant force. There is now yeah, this, this, an opportunity right. to change that. And we have to agree that. more. Sorry, just if I can, I want to try to reframe a little bit of this to get, tease out a question that's, that you've hit. So, because I think Dick and I would agree completely that this is a war between, or the the present fighting in Gaza is like between the, the forces on each side that killed the Oslo process, right? It's like the recalcitrant, recalcitrant sides in both communities are now in charge. And and that's a tragedy for everyone and everything. But I think, you know, going back to the analogy of September 11, you know, one thing that I learned a lot was that, you know, even though the United States had a right to respond and to use military force to respond to the horrific terrorist attacks of September 11, and I broke with other people in the left to articulate that, to say, no, look, this was, this was a, a fascist enemy that attacked mm-hmm. civilians, and we can respond. Clearly, the response that we did did not 
work. I mean, mm -hmm. we we lost three thousand some civilians on September 11th. We we were responsible for the deaths of, you know, many 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 times that in Iraq mm -hmm. and Afghanistan. Um, we were against one terrorist network, and in not even destroying it, but just disrupting Al Qaeda, we've we you know helped create ISIS. We mm -hmm. strengthened, and then after you know the longest war in American history, Afghan War, we withdrew, and the country has been taken back over by the the horrific reactionary forces that we supposedly overthrew in the beginning. So what I take from all of that is not that Israel can't defend itself or that you shouldn't try or that Israel shouldn't try to, you know, even eliminate, like it's a great goal to eliminate Hamas. It's more that I don't think this will do that. And that a lot of, you know, just an unconscionable number of Palestinian civilians are, are being killed and are suffering. And it's not even going to accomplish the goal of eliminating Hamas or eliminating support for Hamas or Hamas or creating something possibly even worse than Hamas in its in a vacuum. So I, I just want to make it clear that I think where we're coming from is not a rejection of Israel's mm -hmm. right to defend itself. It's a rejection of this strategy of defense. And and yeah. with with that in mind, how or like if if we can agree to disagree about that about like the tactics here, how do you get to peace without negotiating with Hamas? Like how do you how could we even do that if you negotiate with someone else and Hamas is still there on the outside sniping? You know, it's like Northern Ireland, South Africa, any of these processes. You had to have the bad guys, the actual bad guys, in the room to make it an actual meaningful peace process. What do you think about that? I would say the following. No, it's, it's, it's a difficult question because I don't see how we can right now negotiate with Hamas and, and especially mm -hmm. what we can't afford is having Hamas staying in power in Gaza after he did what he did to us. We can't right. afford it. We, we just can't afford it. For the sake of peace, we can't afford it. We have to negotiate with the official leadership of, of the Palestinian people, which is the PLO and, and the Palestinian Authority. These guys, you know, as we speak now, while Hamas is, is, is probably the peak of its popularity within the Palestinian society, because it showed might against uh, Israel, right. Abu Mazen, the Palestinian president, of the, of the Palestinian Authority. I, I hate calling it uh, president because it, it, it kind of portrays him as if he's the leader of a nation. Unfortunately, he's not. Unfortunately, it's not. I mean, I, I believe that Israel's survival interest is to have a Palestinian state. and That's what we're lacking, and that's the reason that got us here uh, so far. Even when we went out yeah. of Gaza, it was a unilateral disengagement instead of having an agreement that would be promoting a Palestinian state and that's having more responsibilities on the Palestinians how, you know, to create security and to strengthen the moderates instead of Hamas. Hamas got, after a wave of, of, of the, what, we, what is known as the Second Intifada between uh, 2001 and, and let's say 2003 and 2004, and, and they, got, they got Gaza. I remember my friends from the Fatah movement saying, uh, campaigning right now in Gaza, saying, you know, 10 years of negotiations brought us nothing. And four years of Intifada brought us uh, Gaza, vote Hamas, and they did. So uh, we need to right. talk with the Palestinians. There is a Palestinian partner. There is, there are, there is a Palestinian. And again, th these people are not, they're also not the bad guys. Some of them, by the way, are, you know, let's let's talk about Marwan Baruti, okay? The, the yes. in jail, the, the imprisoned leader, the former leader of, of the Shabib of, of the Fatah, the, the mm -hmm. young wing of the Fatah, and later on, became the uh, secretary general of the uh, Fatah's more uh, militant uh, uh, organization. This is the guy who is imprisoned for responsible, being responsible for the deaths of many Israelis. But this is someone I believe we can talk to because with Hamas, you can't talk, even if you would have wanted to. They come from a, an ISIS-like, Al-Qaeda-like perspective. Their whole ideology is based they don't, by the way, when they went into, stormed into the kibbutzim, 
They didn't say free Palestine. They said Allah Akbar. Their their concept is 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 not freeing the Palestine, but you know much larger struggle and war against the infidels from the West. Okay, it's not a Palestinian struggle. It's it's part of a of a uh, regional, even uh, international movement of the, the their uh, similar organization. But with Marwan Barghouti, for instance, who again is a bad guy in Israeli eyes. Okay, he's responsible. He was. In, in our in our court system, which is independent and 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 we can count on it, he was found guilty in, in in numerous being responsible for numerous murders of Israelis. But this is a guy who comes from a perspective of you know we need to compromise, and this is someone you can talk to, mm-hmm. and 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 him in particular and, and and others. I'm not saying you know let's not talk to to the bad guys. You make peace with your enemies. You don't make peace with your friends. It doesn't. Okay, so sense. so we we in order to. We, we don't. We're going to run out of time with, without. Okay. So I want to. I want to yeah. sharpen this, so we can get really important things out that uh, we haven't yet mentioned. So you you said that which I which was very interesting that what Thomas Friedman called the Biden doctrine is something that you think is is a path that's that's promising. Just as my understanding, the elements of it are to create some framework for governing Gaza of the kind of Palestinian leadership that you're referring to being constituted. This is all in the context of of a ceasefire having been achieved and instituted uh, that that Israel relationship with Arab countries would be uh, normalized and that uh, those are those are key elements and and that the Palestinian uh, leadership that would emerge would be nurtured toward um, the establishment of a state, a Palestinian state. It's even been mentioned that the Biden government, Biden might actually recognize a Palestinian state early in the, that process as some of the other countries in the world have done. So, so I have two questions that I'd like to hear you talk about. They're separate questions. One is, I assume that what you would suggest to American progressives is help push and support Biden toward that kind of a set of goals that I just uh, outlined. Of course, the freeing of the hostages would be part of, of, that, of that resolution. So that's one question. What you would hope American progressives, Jewish and non-Jewish, would to bring a promising outcome in this whole situation. The second has to do with you and others on the left. Are you fearful of your own safety in a way from the right wing in Israel? Is there some possibility internal civil escalation of civil strife within the Israeli Jewish world? That's a serious question because I've heard people worry about that. So what should American progressives do in this context, in your view? Second, what is the situation of the Israeli left? Uh, literally, is there a precarity there that we should be supporting, We that you need support from us on that score? Thanks, Dick. Um, on your first question, I would say that uh, the, the Biden administration, I think, gets it right. On the one hand, it does not push for a ceasefire, an immediate ceasefire, because it understands that we can't afford having Hamas staying in power. The Biden administration understands this, and perhaps also from American national interests and regional ones. You know, it is said that that many of Israel's neighbors say that for their own sake, Israel has to topple Hamas, because if not, they have Hamas alike in their own societies that can rise and threaten such uh, regimes that are referred to as moderate regimes. Many of them are very problematic regimes, but it is true that they're not, you know, not taking a, a, a more violent and militant approach in uh, international, uh, to a certain degree, also domestic uh, policies. So the Biden administration gets it totally right. I think that should be the path. It's not easy because of Netanyahu. Netanyahu is an obstacle. Because Netanyahu is, is both personally and, if, and even if not, uh, politically is is a hostage of the most uh, radical elements in the Israeli politics right now. And to, to be honest, Netanyahu's biggest, you know, this is a guy 
who's been in power for so long, he doesn't have many achievements. The way he saw it till October 7th, his biggest achievement was to uh, prevent a Palestinian state. And that's his main yes. thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so he cannot be part of, of, of such a solution. It's not easy for, to any Israeli prime minister right now to promote a Palestinian state, as, which might be portrayed as a prize to the most horrific uh, attack we, 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 we uh, ever experienced. Mm. But, you know, if I look into history, all of the big, the major political progress we made with the Palestinians and with Arab states were after disasters. And if you take the Yom Kippur War that led to the Israeli-Egyptian uh, peace treaty, if you take the first intifada, which led to the Oslo Accords, and the second intifada, which led to the uh, Gaza disengagement, and, and you have other examples. So the Israeli public opinion, I believe, is more mature than what many of the, its politicians uh, think. And if there'll be something concrete on the table that would first and foremost promise a strong security element in it to Israelis, definitely a, a, a you know a, a, a non-militarized Palestinian state, but also with with other reassurances that something like October seventh can't happen, even if a different uh, uh, political party would go into power in the future Palestine, so on and so forth. I think Israelis would end up following it, of course, with a strong American leadership. It has to come with a strong American uh, leadership. In parentheses, I would say that I very much I can imagine the 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 uh, Biden administration does that, but doing that. But if it's uh, the the alternative that that uh, at least now uh, might emerge, then then uh, you know we're talking about a, about a completely different story, uh, referring to a, a possible. God forbid the uh, Trump uh, victory in, uh, come November twenty fourth, twenty four. When it comes to our own safety, look, things are not like that right now in Israel. It's not like yes, if if you take Israeli history, when we had violent attacks, it was from the right towards the left or the center. Uh, of course, the Rabin assassination we mentioned before, and there were also some uh, some attacks on on um, Jews and Arabs uh, from. Rightist militants, but it's not the feeling right now in Israel. There's a strong sense of of unity. You know, many people serve together right now in in, in reserves. You know, our, our military is based on, on reservists. Mm-hmm. To be honest, uh, many of the of the hostility many Israelis felt in the last year are now being uh, you know when when they're when they're the perspective is what happened in October seventh and and the kind of uh, things we're now. Going through, uh, many th- people say talk about against this mutual attack and the attacks on the left, so on and so forth. Having said all that, the Netanyahu poison machine is still active. I mean, you have people who are blaming the left for there's a, a, a Knesset member from his own Likud party who only last week used her parliamentary immunity to 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 use this crazy conspiracy that one of the leaders of the uh, protests against the judicial overhaul, her husband met with Sinwar, the leader of Hamas, and, and, and like portraying her as a as a, a traitor and so on. So so there are you have those elements, uh, but it's not it's not unfortunately my Our fears are also you know even here in Tel Aviv. Last week we had uh, missiles, uh, missile attacks from uh, from Gaza. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, on, on pure civilian uh, areas, uh, we have a strong defense system which which was uh, uh, able to to prevent it. But uh, that's our biggest uh, personal threat still. I, I don't think there's anybody in Israel who doesn't know someone who was killed or who was right. or lost a, a family member or was uh-huh. a victim. You know, so that's that's. Uh, and being Jews, and you know, and, and all of, I'm sure you, you you probably have similar experiences. You know, you have family stories, and all of them all, all all of a sudden come to life. And and yeah, it's also about the Jewish psyche, and and how we how we sense such attacks. We have an extra, I would say, uh, fear of, of 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 you know survival uh, fear, uh, which uh, played a part uh, in October seventh. So. Um... Yeah, in the interest of time to sort of wrap up, I want to give you a chance to talk about how to get uh, the uh, the two state solution 
back on a real agenda. And one of the things, you know, you talked about the slogan from the river to the sea, which, you know, has risen in popularity and ubiquity uh, in protests here in the U.S., certainly over the last 20 years. And I, I find myself sort of somewhere in between you and Dick on that, you know, sort of the meaning of that slogan, because I don't think that it means genocide of the Jewish people or ethnic cleansing of the region of Jews, uh, or I don't think that people mean it to mean that when they're they're shouting it on college campuses here. But I do think that it means like dismantling or replacing the state right. of Israel, right? It is right. it is about like having a new polity, a new state, a new entity in that area that is not Israel, that is something else. And 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 again, like something you said, I really agree with is we could have that debate again, but it after so many wars and two intifadas and the Oslo process, I was at the point of, it's a settled question historically. Now let's talk about two states and two good states, you know, two just mm -hmm. democratic states. So, and then on the other problem we have is I don't think, Dick, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like we in the United States don't hear anything coming from Israel, from Israeli society, from Israeli uh, civil society, or the, certainly not the government, that said that that says what you just said, Uri, that Israeli security depends on a there being a Palestinian state. We hear the opposite, and so mm -hmm. the only times that we hear two states or you know people saying yes, I support you know having two secure states anymore, it's it, it's sort of in order to derail a conversation or excuse saying something really you know, horrifically jingoistic. I mean, I, I just know this from within Democratic Party circles that you mm -hmm. almost only, you hear people say, oh, you know, I support a Palestinian state, which is why I think we should arm Israel to just turn Gaza into glass. But I support a Palestinian state, so I can say that. It's fine. You know, nobody is actually articulating here. We need two states. Here's how we get there. That means a Palestinian state. That means defeating Netanyahu. Like the sort of how you put it. How do we together, the sort of left in the United States and a left in Israel, as well as Europe and throughout the Arab diaspora, everywhere, how do we get actual steps towards a Palestinian state on the agenda in a way that like includes Israelis rather than making it a, a sort of us against them trap that we're in now? Does that make sense? It's a little rambling. It makes sense in the sense, listen, it won't, how do I put it? I don't think, to begin with, that there is a better solution than a two-state solution, okay? Not, you know, we tried avoiding, Netanyahu's policy was to, to uh, manage the conflict instead of solving it, right? And uh, kind of divide and rule and everything, that blew up in our faces. On the other hand, I don't think a binational state is is something that is can be perceived by anyone as you know you, you saw the, the the amount of of hostility you have between the uh, two peoples and and by the way i'm not talking about uh, kind of uh, a john lennon style imagine two state solution that we're uh, a day after we all hug each other and love each other and go hugged uh, towards the sunset i'm not talking right. about some, that I'm talking more something similar to to the uh, uh, peace treaty where with Egypt, where you have diplomatic relations, where you have open, you know, uh, uh, you you can visit Egypt, they can visit here, but there's no there's much of hostility towards Israel in 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 the uh, Egyptian uh, elite, by the way. And, and a lot uh, the cultural elite, I would say, not not the military elite. But it's you know, it's it's normal relations, cold a cold peace, but but there's peace, and and mm -hmm. peace is better than war. And we shed a lot of blood, both both our nations. Uh, similar, uh, also uh, we can say that about Jordan. So I'm talking about a peace treaty that would not make us all uh, one happy family, but. Set borders, and the borders have to be based on the 67 borders, June 67, June 4th, 67, a day before 
the Six Day War uh, uh, started, meaning that the the old Armitage lines of, of 48, where Israel was established on and, and still are, even after all this time, are the the official sovereign Israel, although Israel uh, and Dick re related to that before, in practice controls uh, controls the, the West Bank as if it's, at least most of it is part of, 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 of the state. Legally, it's not. It's, 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 uh, they're not part of it. They were never become, uh, became a part, a part of Israel. So the two-state solution has to be based. We know, we know the, the general lines. We know the, the territorial element. We know what the, the other elements of, of the agreement would be. Uh, we have to find a solution in Jerusalem, which is partly Palestinian, partly uh, 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 Jewish-Israeli. We know also where, where we need to, uh, we, we have to, uh, there won't be a, an open gate to Palestinian right of return of, of, of fourth and fifth and, and sixth uh, generation uh, refugees coming back to Israel. Like my, you know, like I won't claim my father's being a refugee from Egypt, uh, right to back to Egypt. You know, in general, what we're talking about, it's been on the table since 93, since Oslo uh, started. And we know that, but we never got to it. It was never tested. You know, many people see say around the world, you know, peace was tested and failed. No, it's not the case. We never tried it. And I believe we are the, the, the guideline and, and it has to have a strong American leadership and I believe what President Biden is doing, uh, he understands the Israeli people. He showed true commitment to us. By the way, he was much warmer in his leadership than Netanyahu was uh, after October 7th. This was a kind of a, a father-like or grandfather-like figure who hugs us while Netanyahu was distant and not emotional at all. And I think there's lots of respect to President Biden right now in Israel. And I believe he's, he's. I hope he won't be uh, affected by by the the the. the... Woo, that's a whole other thing. It, this is. I hope not because good. I think he's he's. By the way, and I do think that also, and, and I I kind of hinted to that when we first started. You know, I I I never forget forget. In a sense, you also reflected that. I never forget Nixon's famous silent majority line, and he won his presidency uh, because of this silent majority that. Couldn't handle, you know, the 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 sixties uh, and how some of, some of the, the university campuses uh, acted back then. That's more of a problem to to Biden than uh, than uh, supporting Israel. The, the, how some of his, the 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 margins, perhaps, but the very vocal margins of the Democratic side is acting right now. For sure, it, it happens in, in in Europe. You saw that the, the far right. Uh, uh, after Wilder uh, uh, in uh, the Netherlands won an election, I'm, I'm almost positive, positive that that he got kind of a, a boost because of the anti-Israel uh, 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 demonstrations in in uh, in the Netherlands. As, as one example, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's we'll we'll check in on that after for sure after. Uh, so November. so so folks, we we really are. Uh, beyond time and this okay. has been this been very good for us to hear and to share the perspective that you have uri absolutely uh, i guess what i i kind of feel in terms of your last comment is that biden's re-election would be greatly strengthened if the path that we just are outlining uh, could could be fulfilled that the war itself could come to an end and that he could be seen as someone who made a contribution significantly to some some new path. So what I like in, in conclusion, you're being able to see possible rays of hope coming out of severe crisis and tragedy. Uh, that's the history that you were saying is represented in in the last in Israel's past. And so Maybe that's what we can hope for now. I certainly hope hope that myself. So I'm going to say thank you very much, and hope maybe we will come back together at a later time as well. Meanwhile, keep and send us your little biography 
if you can, and also keep in touch with us, and we'll try to do the same. Yeah, and stay safe. I appreciate it, and thanks, uh, Ida, for being so... Uh, <laughs> she was great <laughs> yes. throughout the, the, the last hour and a half. Yeah. She's been lulled into a nice deep sleep by our droning on. <laughs> <laughs> We're boring. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Some nights I stay up cashing in my bad love. Some nights I call it a joke. Some nights I wish that my lips could build a castle. Some nights I wish they just fall off. But I still wake up. I still see your ghost. Oh, Lord, I'm still not sure what I stand for. Oh, what do I stand for? What do I stand for? Most nights I I'm not good at a one-night stand